This is Ryan Elliott for Boxing Social in association with Betfred, and it is an honour to be joined by former two-weight world champion, Hall of Famer, and esteemed trainer James Buddy McGirt. Buddy, thank you so much for taking the join time to join me. How are you, sir? Higher than yourself. I'm very good. Thank you for asking, Buddy. We'll come in uh, what you've been up to. But I've been told there's a possibility you may be doing some dinner shows. We might even see you over in my part of the world. Tell me a bit about that. Well, yes, Rachel Charles has been working on that, and I'm looking forward to it. I'm just hoping that when we fly, we fly on different planes. <laughs> <laughs> now, in terms of your lockdown, buddy, I've seen some videos of, of you in the gym doing, doing a bit of pads with your mask on and stuff like that, working with Adam Lopez and the guys. Tell me a bit about your lockdown experience and, and what's going on right now. Well, right now, we're just, um, you know, we're hearing that uh, Adam is going to be fighting in June, so it's time to start getting ready. You know, we get, you know, I mean, we stay ready so we don't have to get ready. But now we just got to focus now on the, uh, what we have to do. Has there been anything you've had to do differently with adaptive training? Uh, you mentioned that Adam's going to be back out in June. That's something I've heard as well. Is, have you had to adjust at all? Are you guys still able to spar together and stuff like that? I mean, we're going to start sparring this week. You know what I mean? Um, are they going to spar with masks? No. Um, we're just going to, you know, we're going to be take our precautions, but at the same time, you know, we got to do what we got to do. I mean, you know, um, so the guys got to get ready for the fight. They can't use the pandemic as an excuse. So we just got to get ready, man. Now, just to stick with Adam, uh, he gave a great account of himself uh, in the Oscar Valdez fight. You know, his stock went through the roof to, despite the ultimate result. How do you reflect upon that performance as well on that night? It was a great night for his profile, result aside. You know what, to be honest, it was so easy, he got lax. That's how he got caught with the punch. Because it was an easy fight for him. I mean, you know, everyone's building up this guy's name. And I'm hoping they give us a rematch. I know they're not, but I hope they give us a rematch. And we won't have less than 24 hours to prepare. You know what I mean? We, we, will, um, be, we don't even have to get more ready, to be honest with you. I just think it's more mental to have more time to focus on what he has to do. But as far as fighting-wise and all that, I mean, you know, getting in shape in that winter, he just got lax. You know, it was getting easy to him, and he got caught. I mean, it happens. It's boxing. With what you saw and you mentioned there, the short notice, with, with the full camp behind him once the boxing schedule's up and running again, and obviously he'll be back out in June as well, do you think he's ready to get straight back in with the top dogs in his division later in this year? No. I think right now we need a fight. I mean, listen, anybody we fight now is going to be tough because he's a marked man. So we don't take no, nothing easy. We train like we're fighting for the world championship. What's everyone up to uh, around yourself? That's it. Just working and, um, you know, just training and dealing with Rachel and, you know, you know, getting everyone back, back um, sometimes mentally more than physically. Because some guys are in shape because you got nothing else to do but stay home and get in shape. So now it's about getting their minds on the right track. I just wanted to ask you about Sergey Kovalev, buddy. Uh, when was the last time you sort of spoke to him? I know he's meant to face Barrera. That obviously got cancelled with everything that's been going on. Are, are you still in regular contact at all? I, sp I spoke with him yesterday. <laughs> and well, I mean, when, do um, when do you expect to link back up with Sergey? Uh, well, he's going to give me a call tomorrow, and then we're going to go from there. Now, with that Barrera fight, I think that was scheduled for 180 pounds. I'm sure you cor correct me if I'm wrong. There was talk of him going up to cruiserweight. Do you think long term we still could see Sergey go up to cruiserweight? 
Now, I think right now what he wants to do now is get his light heavyweight title back. So, I mean, 180 is only five pounds over the light heavyweight limit. I just think to come back right now, taking a fight at 180, it'd be perfect for him, and then work his way back down to 175. Well, I've heard you talk in the past about when you work with fighters that sort of come in towards the, the twilight years of their career. You always look at the legs in the gym and, and see how much they've got legs left in the legs. In, in the time you've worked with Sergey, have you seen enough to suggest that he's still got enough to go back and get that title as, as you've outlined oh, yeah. his ambitions? Without a doubt. He has what it takes to go back. You know what I mean? Um, we just can't uh, take fights close back to back like that anymore. You know what I mean? Got to give the body time to rest. So, you know, we, we're just going to do it a little smarter. When you get older, you get smarter. Now, the last time we had you on the channel, my colleague Rob interviewed you just before the Canelo fight. I don't believe we caught you after. So just your thoughts on that. How do you look back now and reflect upon that, that Canelo fight? Hey, listen, he got caught. I mean, that's all. I mean, you know, he, I think he kind of exposed Canelo in the sense that he can easily be our box if he can't catch you with that big hook. Um, and uh, I think that uh, he, he did great, better than a whole lot of people thought he would do. A lot of people thought he was going to get blown out in two or three rounds. I mean, I've heard there was a lot of trainers and boxers saying that he's going to three or four rounds, he's going to get blown out. But, you know, I mean, listen, opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. So <laughs> they can keep their opinions to themselves. <laughs> now, with Canelo, we thought he was close to facing Billy Joe Saunders, but obviously a lot of fights have been sort of put on the back burner for now. Between 160 and 168, buddy, who do you think has the best uh, best chance of beating Saul Alvarez? Saul Alvarez? Oh, I'm thinking of him as Canelo. Billy Joe Saunders, man. I like Billy Joe, and I like uh, Paul Smith's brother. Callum. Yeah. Do you, do you think there was, there was some sort of talk from the Smith family that Callum was in the running, but the lowballed and perhaps didn't want to fight him? Do you think his size would be perhaps just a bit too imposing for Canelo? You know, I, I just think the kid could fight. He's big, you know what I mean? And um, I think, personally, I think he's going to have trouble with Billy Joe. I mean, Billy Joe could fight, man. He could box. He's, he's the real deal. But he's something I wanted to ask you about. Uh, Deontay Wilder, there's been talk of him freshening things up around his team in the wake of his uh, loss to Tyson Fury. There's been a couple of people in the boxing industry sort of throwing your name in the hat and saying that would be a good fit. Is that something you'd be interested in? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, uh, but I still think no matter who he brings in, whether it's me or anybody else, I still feel in my heart he should still keep Mark Brill on the board. Mm -hmm. In that situation, do you think you would have done the same thing as Mark? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, listen, you see, a lot of people talk, but they've never been in that situation. You know, you get trainers saying, oh, why? You've never, listen, 80% of the trainers today never been in, in a ring in a fight like that. Mark has been there. Mark's, you know what I mean? So Mark knows. And you look and you say, okay, look here. My guy is getting weaker. Another guy is stepping on the gas more. Why let my guy get hurt anymore? For what? That's why people who talk, it's like, yo, have you ever been in the ring? Have you ever been in that situation? No. Then shut up. Yeah, now, buddy, if, if you were to work with Deontay or from looking from the outside inward, ahead of that trilogy fight, what small changes would you make? I can't reveal that, but they're not big changes. It's minor. Nothing major. Minor changes. Okay, buddy, I... 
well, we got the time today, uh, if you want to take the time. I want to talk a bit about yourself and your journey into boxing and your fighting career as well, if that's okay with you. So I just want to take it back. I just want to take it back. Uh, growing up in Brentwood, how do you sum up your childhood, buddy? I, I know your mother's been a, a huge motivation for you throughout your life and throughout your career. How do you sum up, you know, that, that experience of growing up? Well, you know, everybody has a story, you know? And um, I think your stories help prepare you for later on in life. You know what I mean? And as you get older, you understand why you went through certain things growing up. You know what I'm saying? And and uh, so I thank God for a mom like I did. We struggled at times. We did great at times. But I think as a kid, you don't really understand. But then when you get older, it's like, damn. You know, I, even when I, I was champion of the world and I was making money, I used to ask my mom, how the hell did you do it? I mean, you had six of us. I mean, she was taking care of six kids, working nights for 30 plus years. It's like, how the hell did you do it? So she did a lot of sacrifices. You know what I mean? But as a kid, you don't really see it or understand it. But as you become an adult, you understand it more. Is it true you spent thousands on clothes for your mother when you won the world title as a thank you? Yes, sir. Yeah, she told me I was crazy. You know, I spent thousands on underwear, if you want to know the truth. <laughs> because, because I saw her one day washing out her underwear because she needed that money to buy my brother's stuff. So instead of buying herself underwear, she bought my brother's stuff for his field trip. So... No, buddy, you, you played a little bit of little league football when you were younger, but it was boxing that really stuck. Why boxing? What was it about boxing that pulled you in? I was on the football field. It was about 10 degrees outside. And my hand was hurt. I'm on the sideline with an ice pack on my hand. And the coach says, you're not going back in. I said, yeah, I know. But at halftime, I'm going home. <laughs> and I left and I went home. And I told him I'd bring the uniform back on Monday. But boxing, I loved boxing because it was about, I loved the, the, the process of outthinking another man. Know what I mean? So the point of being in the ring outsmarting another guy, that attracted me. Do you think that's what drew you to coaching as, as a career path as well? That, that yeah. love of trying to outsmart a guy working on a game plan, is that what drew you to that straight away? i put it to you like this. I started boxing January 17th, 1976. January 18th, I wanted to be a trainer. Just like that. Another thing I want to ask about, buddy. Uh, you met Jersey Joe Walcott as a young teenager. He used to come watch you train a couple times a week as well. What was that like for you, having a heavyweight legend around from such a young age? It was the greatest fella in the world. I mean, there was times Rocky Graziano would come, Jake LaMotta would come. You know what I mean? But... Charlie Fusari, who fought uh, Ray Robinson, would come. But to have the heavyweight champion of the world, former heavyweight champion of the world, drive two hours to watch you train twice a week was like the great. And he would have his son drive me down. was like the greatest feeling in the world. That gives you that enthusiasm to know that, hey, I'm going to be a world champion. This, you know I mean, and he was just a great man. You know I mean, great man. Is it even possible for you to put into words how much you learned from, from Jersey Joe Walker? No. I still watch tapes of him today, and I get chills. Because fighters today, they don't know what they're looking at, man. I'm sorry. You got to study guys like him, Ezra Charles. I mean, there's a fighter out of Detroit named Henry Hank who's never champion. 
phenomenal defense, phenomenal with the shoulder. These guys were great. <clears throat> Georgie Benton. I mean, there's so many great guys that don't get the recognition that these young kids don't know about today, man. I mean, Walcott had moves, man, that were unbelievable. For a heavyweight in that era, it was unbelievable. Now, just to touch on a few fights in your career, buddy, uh, the Simon Brown fight, you were an underdog going in there. Uh, that meant absolutely nothing to you. What do you recall about your, your mindset and your mentality going into that fight? Okay, honestly, when I left the dressing room and made that walk to the ring, and as soon as I stepped in the ring, I went into that zone. So I couldn't tell you anything. <laughs> All just a blur. Yeah. You know, when I got in the ring and I saw Lou Rawls singing the national anthem, and my mom loved Lou Rawls. And it might sound crazy, but I said, tonight is going to be my night, 200%. Did your mother get to meet him afterwards? Yeah, and I said, Ma, I want you to meet Don King. And she said, the hell with Don King. I want to meet Lou Rawls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you believe that or the, the Frankie Warren rematch maybe was the best win of career, your career? When you look back, what do you see as the best win? Oh, yes. That, I, I got to say that one because... It was revenge. You know, Frankie Warren was good because he was the first guy that beat me. And then when I had the rematch, we went back to his hometown. Uh, they put me in the same hotel, you know what I mean? And everything, everything was the same from two years earlier. But it didn't help because I knew that I was going to beat him. Uh, just to touch on uh, the late, great Pernell Whitaker as well. You shared a ring with him a couple of times. Going in that first fight, uh, you suffered that horrendous injury. How much did that hamper your preparation and hamper, like, sort of hamper you in the fight as well? You know, I believe everything happens for a reason. And I don't have that injury. I beat him that night. But it just wasn't in the cards for me, which is okay. I understand that. I, I, I uh, accepted it right after the fight. It just wasn't meant to be. So, I'm trying, you know, so, but I had to give him his, his props. I mean, the man was phenomenal, and he had a phenomenal trainer, which made it even harder for anyone to beat him. So, my thing is, a guy like Pernell, who I took down to the wire in the fight, before he got old, no one beat him, even though decisions went against him. No one, realistically, nobody beat him. When Trinidad fought him, he was an old man. If Trinidad would have fought him five or six years earlier, he'd have been the first man to beat Trinidad. Oh, buddy, you touched on Jordy, Georgie Benton, who we'll come on to a little bit later. Obviously, he was there with Purnell, uh, an unbelievably gifted fighter, but also had George in his corner. What stood out for you in terms of Purnell's attributes and what he'd been working out with George in those fights? What made him so special, in your own words? George, to me, is one of the top three trainers in boxing ever. No one can, the man was just, the man had it. And he was a hell of a fighter, even though he never was world champion. So the man was, was smart, you know what I mean? And he could, I mean, this guy was just unbelievable, man. I mean, he could teach a, a cow to drive a car. The man was just unreal. And the funny thing is, out of my six losses, Four of my losses were the fighters trained by Georgie Benton. You know what I mean? So the man was a master, but I had the pleasure of becoming great friends with him. Even during my career, I met George when I was 18 years old. 
and uh, I spot with the late great Johnny Bumpers. And Georgie says, I want to train you, kid. At the time, my manager and Lou Duva were bumping heads. So it couldn't happen. But I always stayed friends with Georgie. And after Frankie Warren beat me the first time, Georgie told me what I did wrong because he didn't expect us to get a rematch a year and a half later. So when we got the rematch and I saw Georgie in the hotel, I said, hey, I corrected my mistakes. And Georgie's favorite word was MF. He said, fuck you, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, George is someone you've always spoken of as a, a huge influence. You, you've said in the past, and you mentioned it there, that he, you know, he said he wanted to train you when you were younger, but it never quite happened. Is it true that you sort of heeded his advice and, and the advice of the great Eddie Futch as well, the head of uh, Tarver and Roy Jones too? Yeah, without a doubt. Yes, yes. I mean, they said stuff that made sense. I mean, what people don't understand is that Eddie Fudge had the remedy in the first fight Roy had with Montel Griffin. Montel was beating Roy until he got lax and lost focus for that split second and Roy caught him. But he was giving Roy fits up until that point. You know what I mean? So if these two guys give you advice and you don't take it, then you're a damn fool. So I took it. I mean, and, and whenever people gave me, asked me about it, I always said I learned from them. I didn't take credit. I said, hey, look, I learned from them guys, and I implemented it into Antonio. So these two guys here gave me the remedy, because at that point, Roy was, like, unstoppable. But Georgie made a good point. He goes, buddy, a guy can't punch and block punches at the same time. I don't care how fast he is. And I was like, wow. And they were right. I think it was the anniversary of the, the rematch last week, actually. Where does, where does that fight in the trilogy as well rank among your proudest nights as a trainer? You mean the second fight? Yeah. You know, after the second round, I said, we got it. I said, we got it. You know what I mean? I said, as long as our troll don't look for the knockout, we got this one. He was running on all cylinders that night. No. But I think it was yesterday, actually, was the anniversary of Gatti Ward 1 as well. Uh, do you still watch that ninth round back in awe, the same as we all do? No, I don't, I don't watch it because it's in my memory bank. You know what I mean? I don't watch it, you know what I mean? Because all I can do is close my eyes and I can just vision, I can see it. And uh, it, was, it was a crazy night. It was a crazy round because at the end of the ninth round, the doctor was talking to me in Italian, and I'm telling the doctor, I don't understand what the hell you're saying. And he was talking to the referee, and I thought he was talking to me, but and then the referee looked at me, I'm like, I don't know what the hell he just said. You know what I mean? And then Arturo, i never forget, he had a, a tears rolling down his eyes, and he says, Coach, I'm going to be okay. How hard was it? And, and how much did you weigh up stopping the fight, that, that fight at that point, buddy? Is it just a case of knowing Arturo? When I seen it, I was gonna, I told Pat Lynch and Gary Shaw, I said, I'm not gonna let him get hurt. And they said, okay. But once I seen him using his legs moving, I said, okay, we're back in the race. When you went back to the drawing board after the first fight, uh, what changed going into the second and third fights? I know, I know we had a lot of hand problems. How did you have to adapt things? Well, I, what I did do was I told him, I says, when he gets close to you, soon as he gets in range, drop, bend your knees more so you don't get hit with that shot to the liver. So we trained like that. 
And uh, his legs got stronger through training. And uh, once I saw him in the gym and his legs got stronger, we boxed uh, Cesar Bazan, who was lightweight champion. And when I seen him one day, school Cesar Bazan, I said, we ready. We remember Arturo for his guts, for his great, for them, them great fights he gave us. But you've known him personally, you've worked with him. How intelligent was he as well, though? He was very smart. He wasn't a dummy. You know what I mean? He uh, was very smart, um, very outgoing. You know what I mean? Just all around nice guy. Now, buddy, another fight you've worked with, we had Matt Macklin on the channel last week. He was talking a bit about his, his time working with yourself around the Martinez fight and stuff like that. What do you recall about working with Matt? What, what, made, him, uh, what, what made him the fighter he was? He was a good student. You know what I mean? And Macklin was a very good student. He listened well. And, when, you know, he would go home at times and his brother Seamus would work with him. Whatever we worked on that day, they were going back at the hotel. And they come in the next day and be like, I got it, buddy, I got it. I'm like, okay, show me. And, you know what I mean? He would, he would do it. You know, training for the Martinez fight, the first couple of weeks, you'd have thought the sparring partners were the ones fighting for the title. But, but once Matt figured it out, it was a different ball game. Do you believe he would have won a rematch? Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Now, buddy, something else I want to ask you about. Uh, your induction at the Hall of Fame, how proud a moment was that for yourself to, to finally get that call? I mean, it's like this. You can't get no better than that in any sport. That's something nobody can never take away from you. I mean, even if they try, you're in there, baby. But not too many people can say that. Do you remember the reaction when, when the phone rang and it was finally the news that you'd done it, you were in the Hall of Fame? Oh, yeah, I was driving home. And when he called me, I thought he was calling me to ask me to be a guest. But then when he called me and he was like, hey, I got something to tell you. I said, what's up? And then he told me, I'm like, come on, stop playing, Ed. And it was like, wow. I went home, told my wife, kids started crying. And, you know, that was it. And, buddy, just before I let you go, uh, back to the sort of current world boxing scene, amid lockdown, everyone's always trying to find an excuse to talk boxing, given we haven't really got much to watch. In terms of pound-for-pound pound fighters right now, who do you see as maybe the top three fighters in the world, in your opinion, and why? I'd say right now, uh, Crawford, Lomachenko, Canelo. Interesting, you mentioned Lomachenko. They sort of viewed as the top dog at one three five. We've got a great wave of fighters coming in underneath him as well, with the likes of Tia Fimo. Lopez, Tia Fimo. I forgot about Tia Fimo. Tia Fimo is the real deal. That is the real deal. You think he'll give Lomachenko trouble? They were meant to fight. It looks like it may happen. Later. Honestly, honestly, I think he'll beat Lomachenko. Really? Yeah, he can fight, man. What do you and on think? top of being able to fight, he could punch. What, what you know do you mean? think specifically makes him a good fit for that fight? What What makes you sure of that? His hand speed. You know what I mean? And he has that. He has that grit. You know, you can see in his eyes. He got that fire, man. And that's that's a fire that you know you got to you got to come with it, all your guns for that for that when you step in. Right now, he's out to prove something. When you get a young guy like that, you got to be ready. 
Do you think after Vasil Lomachenko then that Tiafimo will be that number one at lightweight? We've got the likes of Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney, Javante Davis. Do you think Tiafimo will be the one who establishes himself as top? Without a, without a, without a doubt. They're, none of those guys are ready. They're not ready. I mean, Javante maybe, but the rest of them guys, they're not ready for Lopez right now. Buddy, look, I'm not going to keep you longer. Very, very grateful for your time. Uh, it's, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. I think, I think we've done just under half an hour here. So I'm not going to keep you any longer. But thanks so much for speaking to me and, and have a great day. I'm sure we'll catch you very soon. All right, you do the same, babe.